Here's Reinman in the Morning, on demand from 1021 and 105.3, The Shark. Hi, this is Mike Love of the Beach Boys, and I'm picking up good vibrations with Reinman in the Morning. Well, this is incredibly exciting. My guest today is a rock and roll Hall of Famer and the lead singer of my favorite band. Please welcome to Reinman in the Morning, from the Beach Boys, Mike Love. Mr. Love, how are you, sir? Good morning, John, and uh, happy to be on your program. This is just such a thrill. I, can't, so, I don't care. I'm going to fan out about this. Um, and I'll start by saying <laughs> the Beach Boys have always been immensely popular here in New England. Why do you think a band from California has such a strong connection with a place where it's winter like five months out of the year? I don't know. Maybe it's they're looking for sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Do you have? Do you have Maybe some... they're fantasizing about going on a surfing safari or something. You know? Yeah, I I know. What are What are some of your favorite memories about performing here in New England with the Beach Boys? Oh wow! I remember the first time we ever went out all the way out to the end of uh, of uh, of the Cape. You know, and and uh, being fascinated by you know, the architecture and the history, you know, the, the, just such a great place, you know, uh, Boston's always been a, a favorite hang for us, you know, um, but, uh, all over New England, we've had great success, you know, and great, great fans and look forward to coming back every year. You know, and you made a lot of history here in New England. I was only five. When I went to my first ever Beach Boys concert, it was in Mansfield, Massachusetts at Great Woods. And this was a special night because it was the first time you ever performed a song called Kokomo. Now, it had not oh, been, wow. it had not been on the radio yet. It had not been in the movies yet. So we were the test audience. That audience at the concert was the first time we ever heard Kokomo. And I'll be honest, we didn't know quite what to make of it. It was unlike a lot of Beach Boys songs. When did you guys know you had something special with that song that you just kept going until it became this massive hit? Well, it it, it came out on the uh, cocktail uh, soundtrack, cocktail album, which was a soundtrack for the movie that uh, you know Tom Cruise starred in. Sure, and uh, it just caught on little by little you know and it kept going and going until it went to number one and then john stamos who's a big uh, beach boys fan and comes out to perform with us occasionally when he can mm-hmm. uh, he he got us on full house and we get recognized from from uh, people that watch you know kids that watch full house for decades now because of those reruns they they're so popular that's such a popular show so, um, yeah, that was, but, but Kokomo was a little different. It was a little bit more laid back than some of our songs. And, uh, but, but it's one of the most popular songs that we do. It's one of the biggest sing-alongs of, of our show. Absolutely. It's, it's the encore song. People hang around. They got to hear Kokomo. Yeah. Now, well, that's you, right. But you talked about how you're on Full House and you had Kokomo and Cocktail. You just had California Dreamin' in season four of Stranger Things on Netflix. And so there's all these great Beach Boys songs that have been featured in film or TV. But I have to ask you about a rumor that's been out there for years. You did a song called Summer of Love in 1992. Mm-hmm. Is it true that yeah. originally that was meant to be a duet between the Beach Boys and Bart Simpson? Is that a real thing or is that just kind of an urban? I don't. Rumor? You know that that's a rumor that I couldn't couldn't uh, elucidate. I couldn't bring any. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's just a rumor. I think. I'm, uh, so I, yeah, I don't know about that one. Well, what we do know is that just in time for the holidays, the Beach Boys have released the Surfs Up box set uh, and one of my favorite albums. Uh, what are the cool things we have to look forward to on on the box set? Well, there's there's like eighty songs on on the set, so there, there there's a lot to look forward to. But Ceylon Sailor is probably one of the uh, most noteworthy songs that we'll we'll be doing in our concert from that set, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. And uh, I know uh, Alan Jardine and I uh, collaborated on a a, a a trilogy of 
California saga, we call it. And uh, I did a song about Big Sur, which is a beautiful part of the world. And um, uh, there's, uh, you know, so that that there's some stuff there that we'd like to do. That's great. And, you know, this year actually is a giant year for the Beach Boys. It marked the 60th anniversary of the Beach Boys. And, you know, we've heard some stuff. I've read some interviews from you and from Alan. You just talked about that there may be some some other stuff going on to celebrate. Is there anything else in the pipeline that we have to look forward to, or are we kind of... Well, you know, there's, there's yes, a documentary is being done on the Beach Boys by a guy named Frank Marshall, who's done, a, you know, dozens of big, huge movies. So it's going to be a really well-done documentary, and I think, you know, it's filmed and, and is, you know, going to have a lot of historical footage, but also uh, some uh, present-day stuff. And so... Uh, I think that's going to be a pretty cool thing to look forward to. So this is the fan in me speaking now, because I'm one of these people that I say, you guys can do whatever you want. You've given us, and we have the music forever and ever, but in this documentary, was it? have there been any parts that, that everyone kind of got together, or do I kind of have to wait and watch the documentary? Well, I, I think we'll wait and see. Okay. I don't know. Everybody's, you know... A, a lot of efforts being put into it, so it's. I think it's going to be a really good one. That's tremendous. Now, in addition, you, we've talked about it, to all the wonderful summertime music, the Beach Boys have one of the greatest Christmas albums of all time, and that's kind of how the band got started, right? With with you and, and the Wilsons getting together and singing Christmas time, right? That is correct. My mom is Emily Wilson, and uh, got together with her Brothers and sisters, <clears throat> she was one of eight children that my grandma Wilson had, and uh, so we had plenty of cousins and uncles and aunts and stuff. And we, my mom was was uh, incredibly into music. In fact, I grew up in a in a in a household in the living room. We had a grand piano, an organ, and a harp. I have two wow. sisters that play the harp. Yeah. One of them played on a couple of our earlier records. Maureen, but right? Anyway, Maureen Love played on Maureen, Catch a Wave. Yeah, of course. Maureen Love, that's correct. And uh, she's a fantastic musician. She's so talented. Anyway, uh, yeah, so we would get together every, you know, for special occasions, birthdays, Thanksgiving, but particularly Christmas is most memorable because we get together and we would literally Christmas carol around the neighborhood. The whole, oh, wow. you know, multiple generations and then after that we'd come back and have a big feast and uh, a ping pong table laden with all kinds of goodies and then we would peel off and do our own music brian and i would go and see if we could get somebody to sing some doo-wop with us or some everly brothers or or uh once in a while we did a, a couple of four freshman songs and and so you know it was it was just a very musical household and a very special time of year, Christmas. Do you do you still keep in touch with Brian? Do you still send each other Christmas cards? Like, when's the last time you guys? From, yeah, from from time to time we'll, we'll uh, see each other and stuff. But he's been doing his own thing, and so have we, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, um, between Brian and I, we were so close as kids and stuff, and we wrote wrote all these great songs together. And so, uh, there's a lot of love there. I have a couple questions from listeners, because like I said, up here, everyone loves you guys. John from Northampton wants to know, what's the first car you bought when the Beach Boys made it big? A Jaguar. Uh, yeah. Jaguar sedan. Jaguar yeah. sedan. It was, yeah, and it was pretty, it was pretty neat, because I actually had the, the right front seat taken out, and we made it into a bed, so that I had a friend of mine driving me, and we went out, and we would drive from California to New Mexico and or Arizona or all over the place, we would do these little concerts for uh, DJs at the radio stations around. So they would make some uh, a couple of bucks and 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 they would play play our music, you know, day after night after night, day after day, you know. So we really got established by by going out and doing those little hops at the. At the armories and the and the you know the little uh, venues before we got into really bigger venues and you know um, 
up as, as big as stadiums and stuff. I remember we did a, a, a stadium in Hartford, Connecticut, <laughs> way back when, back in like 1964. Yeah. So that was, uh, so we, we experienced a lot of success early on, you know, in the first, the first song, which was a national hit was Surf and Safari. That's 62, 63 Surf in USA. And then we had Help Me Rhonda, I Get Around, Fun, 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 California Girls. Good Vibrations was the biggest hit of, of the 60s, uh, um, equaled only by Kokomo in 1988. And you mentioned Maureen earlier. So Nancy from Beverly asked a question that kind of ties into that. In addition to singing, are there any instruments that you, Mike Love, have played that we may not know about? Because you're usually out front leading the show. Well, yeah, I, I played saxophone on Shutdown, that little two-note uh, <laughs> instrumental, yeah. and that was fun. And I would, when we first started out, we would do, you know, you don't have your own song. While you're, the, I'm talking about the Beatles, the, the Stones, the Beach Boys. We would all have, we would all do covers, you know. So the Beatles did rock and roll music, and we did rock and roll music too. And we did Johnny Be Good, and we did Let's Go Trippin' by, you know, by Dick Dale. And uh, so we would do some instrumentals as well as some R&B, you know, doo-wop stuff and 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 some blues. But uh, you know, then we we quickly started writing our own songs, and so we we started doing Catch a Wave in Hawaii and 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 uh, you know all this kind of all these other great songs that, uh, including Be True to Your School and 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 and. And just fun songs, you know, about our our favorite cars that we liked, or, or you know, our favorite uh, sport, which was surfing. And sure, uh, yeah. So it, it it was just we took our Southern California environment and created a whole body of music having to do with that um, that subject matter. I remember that there's that iconic clip from Ed Sullivan where you're playing Good Vibrations. And I feel for you because you're playing the theremin. And that looks like such a tricky instrument to play. You nail every note, but I can see you peeking down. Because was that, was that a hard instrument to play on the fly? For the- it was very it was very tricky to play. Oh, yeah. It's easy to make a mistake. You go sharp or flat or whatever. But So it was... It was a tricky, tricky one to do, but now we have a, it's in the computer now, so <laughs> there are no mistakes anymore. <laughs> right, that's a good point. Uh, but speaking of that of recording, the Beach Boys in 2012 for your 50th anniversary, you got together and and with Brian, and you did. That's why God made the radio. But people have had some mixed emotions about it in retrospect. If you could do it over, if you got together with Brian and said, "Hey, let's make something new," is there anything you might do a little bit? Differently that you think it could make it land so that you're, you walk away and say, yeah, we really did it with this well, one? Well, the get-together with Brian, that was the problem because we were told by the producer of the album that he and I could get together and write some songs, but it was disallowed. Mm. It, was, it never happened. It was <clears throat> So I was, you know, um, what do you call it? Hoodwinked, I guess, was a good word to use. Um, and it, it didn't happen the way it should have or could have and that's 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 a drag uh, that's that that was too bad because uh you know brian and i together uh, without any other distractions we've always been able to do really great great stuff together yeah and i think a lot of people can can probably relate to that about just you know when it's one-to-one it's it's usually better um one thing you did on your on your solo record which came out a couple of years ago uh, it's 12 Sides of Summer. You did an excellent cover uh, of Rockaway Beach by the Ramones. I thought that was tremendous. I love that song. Oh, and we, th- love do- we love doing that song. It it kicks ass. It really does. <laughs> we love it. It, it. it totally does. And so, well, something I was thinking about, though, is there's so many artists out there. Because it seems like when I read and, and I listen to the you know you and Brian and, and Alan all talk about it, it seems like it's like you just talked about. It's getting together and trying to write and trying to produce and trying to agree on what goes on. But when you get together and perform, everything clicks. So I look at a Rockaway Beach and I look at a song like Soak Up the Sun by Cheryl Crow, a song like Hot in the City by Billy Idol. And I wonder, like, what is there a world where 
the five or six of you guys could all get together for just five or six days and just say, hey, we're going to go to some of these artists who've done, who've basically been inspired by us, who did hit songs in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and then you kind of just record your version. You, it's like you say in concert, we do back in the USSR, we're going to do the Beach Boys version of a Beatles version of a Beach Boys song. Have you ever thought about like, hey, you know what, let's just perform one more time and kind of do a surprise album where maybe you, you get together and you do your version, some more Rockaway Beach kind of stuff. Could that be the way you say Yeah, I have thought about stuff like, I have thought about things like that and and getting together with other people as well. You know, we're um, we're friends with Mark McGrath, and he'll come and storm the stage with, and do songs with us. He, he loves um, uh, a lot of our music, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's okay being one of them, one, one of the singles that he really loves singing with us. And... Uh, so, but there, there is a chemistry there that uh, an infusion that happens that when when you get together with other people or do other people's songs, sure, and and that hence, uh, you know, uh, Rockaway Beach, it, it's got so much energy to it when we do it, and it, and it's great. We put it in our opening sequence along with our other songs like Catch a Wave, Hawaii, uh, It's Okay, Surfing Safari, Surfing USA. It's it's. It, it it brings it just it's very special. It's not not uh, you know people aren't expecting it. I don't think, but I think people like hearing it, and it's a uh, it's it's great for those people who follow the Ramones. Yeah. Uh, the last question for me, and this is just on a personal level, is that uh, throughout the years, you, Mike Love, have had some of the most entertaining and interesting and fun stage wear attire. If you had to estimate. How many Hawaiian shirts are hanging in Mike Love's closet at any given time? Well, probably a hundred. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for for many years, I've been collecting those things, and you know, and uh, uh, so so yeah. And I dress according to the color of the day. Each day. We wear a different color. Sunday, we'll do a bright, sunny, like a yellow or orange color. Monday, we'll do like a pastel color, like the moon, literally like the moon. Mm. Tuesday, we'll do red, like, like, uh, the, m- m- Tuesday is Mars Day, Martis in Espanol. Oh, wow. But it, so, so the color of the planet Mars is what? Red. Yep. And then Mercury's green and so on like that. So, um, we dress according to the color of the day. It's, we're not identical by any means, but we, there's a theme to to how we dress. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I know you talk about, you have another song, Pisces Brothers, of course, inspired by George right. Harrison. You and I are birthday twins. We're each March 15th birthdays. So I don't know very right. much about the astrological signs. What what does being born on March 15th, what, what kind of person does that make me for, as a Pisces? It means you're Pisces, you like music, you like uh, uh, literature. Yeah. And I was always attracted to poetry and stuff like that. And that's why when I sat down with Brian at the piano, he was very gifted musically with chord progressions and stuff like that, harmonies. And I, I would, I would come up with hooks and lyrics and and to complement the, the, the musical part of it that's going on. So we made a great partnership in that way. So, and so Pisces is usually, you know, interested in spiritual things, and 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 uh, that's why I'm, I, I do my meditation every day, transcendental meditation, which I learned from Maharishi, and that's been a huge benefit to my life. You know, it kept me away from too much liquor or too much drugs or anything like that, uh, because you can gain get deep relaxation through the transcendental meditation. And gives you energy and clarity and and peaceful feeling, you know. Um, uh, it's so so that's been a huge help. So I guess being a Pisces, I was attracted to that, and so was George. George was a Pisces also. He, George Harrison was February twenty fifth. I March fifteenth. Mm-hmm. So we we're both Pisces. So that's why I call the song Pisces Brothers. For all things Mike Love, go to mikelove dot com. Please welcome to the show, Reinman in the Morning, Peter Wolf. Thanks so much for joining us, Peter. Well, I'm so honored to be here, and uh, sometimes they not only know me as Peter Wolf, but the Wolf of Goof of Mama too for the 
Okay. Love a boy with the green teeth. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask you about that. I was going to bring that okay. up actually. So, that, so I have, so I just started my own uh, morning show here at the Shark, right. and so I'm always eager to talk to people working in, in, in radio. So before Peter Wolf, Jake Eilesman, all that stuff, and and uh, the uh, the Midnight Travelers, you were as you just said, you were an all night DJ at the legendary WBCN. And what was your name again on air? My name on air was the Wolf of Goof of Mama Tufa. And, Tell me uh, about this character. Well, this character played music from 12 midnight to uh, 6 in the morning, uh, seven days a week. Oh, uh, wow. Wasn't thinking about, uh, thinking that, well, you don't get paid for playing the music you love. And so uh, I loved it. And I had uh, guests come by. It went all night, and it was one of the first uh, all-night uh rock and roll, rhythm and blues, whatever I played on the FM radio band. So uh, guests would come by, and a lot of musicians in town who played at night didn't have anything to listen to or anywhere to go because Boston closed pretty early in those years. Yeah, And so I had people come by the station like Muddy Waters, Helen Wolf, Carla Thomas, Van Morrison. Oh. Um, and like an idiot, uh, the idea of taping these interviews never occurred to me. Oh, my so, gosh. <laughs> and I remember Van Morrison was talking about this new album he was going to make, which became uh, uh, the Astral Weeks album. And he uh, asked him if he would sing some songs, and we, we, we just got back and forth into talking. And uh, actually, from that moment, we remained friends, and he was just in Boston uh, a week or two ago. And I went to see him. I had Bonnie Raitt on the show, who just played Boston. I had Led Zeppelin, Robert Plant just played, and I went to see him. You, I interviewed him, uh, Jeff Beck, and Rod Stewart. It was just a, an amazing time for me, but wow. an amazing time to play the music that I loved that many people hadn't had a chance to hear. So many people got to hear Muddy Waters and Hank Williams and uh, obscure Bob Dylan for the first time. That's so exciting. But the good news, so you didn't ever record it, but it's so cool that you still keep in touch with these people and you still get to go see them. I mean, have you thought about, hey, maybe we get together and we do redo the interviews, see where we are today. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, uh, I stayed in touch with uh, these people because we, with the Giles Band, we were around for so long and we had been together for 17 years. So people, our opening acts were people like, Tom Petty, Billy Joel, wow. uh, um, the Eagles, uh, U2. It, it, so the, the list went on. So you became friendly by being on the road constantly with these uh, artists. And, you know, you're sharing meals and you find yourself at the same hotel and maybe at the same bar late at night. And so those early memories for, like when we were starting out, we were playing, the, I think, the first big band we opened up for was Black Sabbath. And, oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. Do you still keep in touch with Ozzy at all? Well, no, I haven't seen Ozzy in in a long, long, long time. Uh, uh, our paths haven't crossed, but there was so many bands that we played with. I remember being out in Texas playing with ZZ Top. Yeah. And for some some reason, they decided to put two live Buffalo on either side of the state. <laughs> And uh, is that a state law know. down in Texas? You have to have livestock on the stage for it to count as livestock on the stage. I, I hope they put <laughs> earplugs in the, 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 their ears. But yeah. the unfortunate thing was they were always kept right next to our dressing room. Oh. And you know, buffaloes like to eat a lot of hay, and yeah. you know what goes in must come out. Yep, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, was that blood, sweat, and tears. What goes up must come down. I, yeah, yeah. There, there, there you go. That's what uh, that, um, well, it's funny you mentioned Billy Joel a second ago, because he has a lyric in one of his songs that I always love, because I, I get the reference. You and your, your friends and everyone, Jake Eilesman, everyone just mentioned, but you started out playing clubs in an area of Boston that some of our listeners may not know a whole lot about, the legendary combat zone. Could you maybe explain as best you can for morning radio what the combat zone was, and what was it like performing there in the combat zone? Well, in the combat zone, the first band I had was called the Hallucinations. Mm -hmm. And when I came to Boston, I had a scholarship at the Boston Museum School of Fine Arts. Uh, 
Oh, wow. And I moved to Boston to study painting. I didn't have a place to stay. And the first, my first roommate was a gentleman by the name of David Lynch. And wow. he came to Boston to study painting and then went on to uh, the Philadelphia School of Art because he started getting interested in film. Yep. Uh, Amazing. I uh, started getting interested in music. And so we put together a band of all art students. And uh, places that we got to play was the Combat Zone. And the Combat Zone was an area in Boston where all the big department stores were located. And uh, it was also where all the clubs were located. And many of the clubs uh, were sort of uh, had go-go gals. Some of them had uh, strippers in it. And it was all run and owned by, shall we say, the wise guys. Yeah. The Sopranos control mm-hmm. yeah, all sure. of the combat. People stuff. who happen to wear tracksuits around sometimes. Yes, there yeah. you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, there was a lot of small shops. It was, uh, the streets were all crowded. Uh, lots of ladies standing on the corner late at night uh, looking for new friends, shall we say. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, hustlers, clientele. street hustlers. Sure. Yes. And so for me, it was a... Um, an amazing education. I remember uh, <laughs> we would do uh, five sets a night, 40 on, 20 off. Uh, the lead singer was the timekeeper, and these guys would come up and go, Listen, I want you guys to look proper. I don't want no cushion. You follow, you follow the rules, and we'll be fine and happy. And at the end of the night, they paid us in cash. And uh, I remember one night we were playing, and all of a sudden, in walks. Duke Ellington, and he comes by and gives us the okay sign, and he went upstairs, and I guess, uh, well, let's just say they were selling fur coats very cheaply, Ah. and Duke was buying several coats for some of his lady friends, and uh, uh, things like that went on, and, but it was an amazing education. We got to meet an amazing array of musicians and got to witness some really great bands, mostly R&B bands. And actually, one day I took uh, Van Morrison down to see some bands, and he picked a couple of players that ended up playing with him on uh, his uh, second album, you know, Into the Mystic and uh, yeah. Moon Dance. There you go. It was the Moon Dance album. Mm-hmm. And uh, Van, you know, just couldn't believe all the musicians because he had come up really from Ireland, stayed in New York for a short bit, and then was dropped off in Boston. And uh, so we sort of helped him get into clubs in Boston and get his first job. And that's how we can continue to remain friends. And uh, you would walk down the street and somebody would go, hey, man, you want to buy a watch? And, you know, you'd look at it and, you know, me being, you know, not too bright. uh, say, Wow, look at all those diamonds. And, you know, (laughs) I would say, how much money you got on you? I said, well, I only got 25 bucks. Okay, good, man. It's a $300 watch. I'll give it to you. Are you sure you ain't got any more? I said, well, I got $30. Give me the $30. And I took the watch home, and uh, the diamonds turned out to be rhinestones. Yeah. And I remember looking at my brand-new watch, trying to wind it up, and boom, it exploded. Uh, <laughs> so, uh Hey man, that, that could have been a, you could you know you got to try on your watch during the show. That's a cool rock and roll moment right there. Oh my gosh, you see Peter Wolf with his exploding watch on stage. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking uh, of an education, you're talking about an education. So I need I need your help with this, Peter Wolf. Um, so I, I have a five year old daughter uh, right. riding in the car the other day. Centerfold came on the radio. Okay, uh-huh. and, she, and she asked me, Daddy. What's a centerfold? Now, that's a fair question here in the Internet age. Magazines aren't really big anymore. I didn't know exactly what to say, because if I admit I know what a centerfold is, that leads us to a whole other conversation. So uh, help me out as best you can. What should I say if if centerfold comes on again and and my young five-year-old daughter says, oh, what's a centerfold? And what's her name? Her name is Sadie. Sadie. So I would say, you know, Sadie, your dad reads a lot. And in reading, I learned that they used to have magazines, and magazines sometimes had pictures yeah. of these uh, ladies uh, in scant clothing. And in the, if you open the magazine, uh-huh. to the middle was called the centerfold, and yeah. they would have a picture of a lady uh, 
that covered the left page and the right page. And so of they course, called that the, the and centerfold. I, and I never looked at that. That was in the way of my reading, Sadie. Exactly. So, I, it's a thing in, I skipped. In your curious through. mind, you know, uh, reading <laughs> Proust or uh, yep. go, going through the novels of uh, William sure. you know, or, or, or Faulkner, and all of a sudden you, you came upon this fact. Yes. And that's how I would explain it. Thank you. Um, so here's the first time I heard. But I would make sure she never comes across your secret stash of Playboy magazine. I don't know what you're talking probably about. Have, probably Peter. have in the, you know, tucked in the freezer or somewhere. Uh, it's the refrigerator. Peter, that's, that's, oh, yeah. that's neither here nor. <laughs> and, and, Next to the bologna, I guess. Yeah. And a, a few stuffed in uh, the toaster, but, there you go. Um, another song, uh, you of course wrote, and this is actually where I discovered, uh, your music, uh, love stinks, uh, because that song took on a whole new life in the nineties when Adam Sandler, covered it in The Wedding Singer. Did you know that was going to be in the movie, or was that a surprise to you when you saw that? That was kind of a surprise. Uh, I, I Actually, Adam, who comes from New Hampshire, yep. uh, uh, was always a fan, and uh, he had written and asked, you know, he'd love to use the movie, uh, use the song in the movie, and we had no idea, uh, but him being, you know, knowing him from uh, on TV and stuff, uh Saturday Night Live, and so we, we didn't know how it was going to be used, mm-hmm. uh, and there it was. And oh, the wow. The same thing with Grown Ups that uh, was uh, a kind of a, a town that he created in, from New Hampshire, yep. growing up in New Hampshire. Yeah. And uh, we were honored to play in that film, uh, Grown Ups 2, I believe it was. Yeah. And um, also... A, in the Jay Giles, I think it might be our first album, maybe the second, there's a song called Floyd's Hotel. And we were playing up in Maine, and we were driving back through New Hampshire, and it was a bad, bad snowstorm. And we ended up uh, going through Manchester, New Hampshire. We couldn't get any further because we couldn't see, so we pulled over and we ended up in this hotel called Floyd's Hotel. And it was basically a flop house, and uh, we needed a place to stay, so the entire band uh, slept in one room, and that's what the song Floyd's Hotel from the early Giles days uh, was written about uh, right in the center of Manchester. I don't know if it's still there, but uh, it's still in our memory, that's for sure. Well, there you go. Now, just how'd you get to the name, The Midnight Travelers? Is it kind of what you just were describing right then? Just we, we put it together. It's sort of like, you know, Hank William and the Drifting Cowboys. Every, uh-huh. Everybody sort of had a, a, a moniker. And uh, there was a band, there was an album I put out called Sleepless. And so when we toured behind that album, uh, we had The Sleepless Travelers. And mm-hmm. then we all made uh, uh, Midnight Souvenirs, so it became The Midnight Travelers. Oh, cool! And all those records, my solo records, have now become great collector's items because they don't seem to exist anymore, and many people haven't heard them. So uh, that's that's one good uh, aspect by them. But I I love making them, and they're important to me, and uh, uh, they help me uh, work with a lot of people that um, I respect. You know, uh, I'm fans of people like Mick Jagger is on one, and sure. Merle Haggard's on another one. Shelby Lynn's on one, and uh, uh, Nico Case, and there's just a whole oh, lot wow. of people that are able to join me. Some of David Bowie's band, some people from Motown, and uh, uh, Don Covey and Bobby Womack, and some uh, uh, just great artists that I. I uh, have admired through the years and, and got to work with Keith Richards, another one that uh, came in one night and we just yeah. uh, had a, a a wild night just uh, playing blues music from, uh, we started about 11 o'clock at night and I think at around 5 in the morning we were still recording. So uh, we picked one of those for the album uh, Sleepless. It's on the Sleepless album. If people can find it, I, it's a hard one to find. Well, they're, they're, they're going to get to hear you say, I mean, what what can people expect to hear at a Peter Wolf and the Midnight Traveler show. What are you guys going to be playing? Well, I'm going to do some of the favorite songs of the solo stuff, and I'm going to also add quite a bit of my favorite Guile songs because they're near and dear to me. I help, you know, uh, write them, and uh, I enjoy playing them because it's part of my history. 
So it'll be an, a nice mix. So if we've got any Giles fans out there that definitely going to hear some uh, rocking and rolling, shaking and doing the dude and getting right through it, if it's in you, it's got to come out because that's what rock and roll is all about. <laughs> I'm a huge Please. David Letterman fan. And I remember uh-huh. vividly when you reunited with Jay Giles' band on Letterman in 1999. Is it true that was your first time on stage together in 16 years on the Letterman show? That was, it was either the Letterman show or the the Good Morning show, or one of the morning shows, the Today Show. But I think it was the Letterman show. Uh, and what happened on that show is that they had, the theme of the show was Boston. Mm-hmm. They were doing a different city uh, once a month. And they would do Detroit or Philly or L.A. And uh, Dave, it was coming from New York, but they would they would have the backdrop of the city. I remember and this, yeah. I knew a lot of the writers uh, on the David Letterman show. Really? And, yeah, and so I'd go up and visit the writers, and, you know, Dave, everyone thinks Dave was, you know, this kind of beer-drinking, fun guy, but he was very serious, and, yeah. you know, he he was somebody that, you know, you, you sort of, like, didn't look at, you stayed away from, and it was sort of made that, you know, you don't uh, touch Dave or, you know, uh, unless he talks to you or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. So I would walk into Dave's office because he was a fan. He used to see us at Ball I think he went to Ball State. Yep. Uh, uh, Indiana, yeah. And uh, so, hey, Dave, how you doing? He'd be sitting in his office, which was pretty bare, and he'd be sitting with his feet on the desk throwing pencils up into the ceiling. <laughs> and, there would be, and they would stick in the ceiling, and we'd have about 40, 50 pencils you know, <laughs> in the ceiling. And then when they dropped down, he would just throw, throw them back up. <laughs> that was his and, mother, yeah. And so on the particular show that you're talking about, uh, with the theme was from Boston, and the audience all was from Boston. Yeah. Uh, at the end of it, they had this big panorama behind Dave of the Boston skyline. So when we finished the song, I just walked up to Dave, put my arm around him, and I said, you see that house over there, Dave? That's where I live. No. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's... so it, it was funny. He, you know, I, I, he's missed on television. He helped create uh, a lot of the, the new kind of late-night uh, TV. Sure. Uh, and I have, have to say that uh, his band was stellar. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul uh, Schaefer and all those guys. Yeah, Paul Schaefer. And actually, Will Lee, who's the bass player, sure. uh, is the bass player on my first uh, single, solo single, Lights Out. Get uh, out of here. I didn't know that. Yeah, Will That's Lee so is cool. on it. And there's, there's a whole host of great people on it. People that play with David Bowie and uh, Elliot Eastman from The Cars is on it. It's, uh, uh, you know, that, that track is uh, one of my faves. Lights Out, uh-huh, blast, blast, blast. <laughs> There you go. Is there anything I forgot to mention, Peter? Well, I'll, I, there's something I forgot to mention. Uh, when you ask me about what people are expected to see, one thing for sure is uh, I have really great musicians with me, and it's a, it's a thrill for me to be in front of them and them behind me on stage because they just know how to dig deep. And uh, so it, it's, it's just an evening with we're going to take it from A to Z, and there's some great, great playing. And so uh, if you like rock and roll, uh, those guys are top shelf. Uh, I'm honored to be playing with them, and I'm glad to be, after all these years, doing it to it and getting right through it and jumping in. And everybody, got to get on the mark. If you want to hear good music, got to listen to the shark. Oh. In the middle of the night when it's getting too dark, and you want some good company and music, just listen to the shark. So there it is. Uh, thank you I love for it. inviting me as your guest. Uh, and I hope to see you and your daughter maybe come down to the show. And you know something? We took Peter up on his offer. And you can see the picture of myself, my daughter, and the one and only Peter Wolf on the shark Instagram. It's shark1053. For all things Peter Wolf, go to peterwolf.com. Please welcome to Reinman in the morning, the one and only Brett Michaels. How's it going, Brett? I am doing awesome, man. How are you doing, my friend? And I just want to say, as I say good morning, I also want to wish you a, an incredible happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to you, your family, and listeners. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice of you to say. And I was going to ask, how's your holiday season going so far? It has been incredible. I, I'm, I'm not lying to you. I got to enjoy it all uh, with my family 
and everybody over Thanksgiving. And we've been out on the road touring. Of all things, I'm getting ready to do a big charitable event this weekend with Pitbull and Flo Rida. So we're all going to be together jamming. And when I say party grawl, I cannot tell you the amount of great people I've got to perform with or share the stage with Mm -hmm. uh, on every aspect. You know, one night it's Jimmy Page and Jimmy Buffett. And then all of a sudden I'm I'm with, uh, you know, just hanging with friends from Saliva, Josie, and it's just so many different artists throughout my career. And that's what this Party Grawl, Mardi Gras was based on, having a good time playing music and everyone just coming together for a night of all killer hits. We're so happy to have you coming to New Hampshire. What are some of your favorite memories of uh, playing here in New England? I can give you a thousand of them. Uh, First of all, let's start just this last summer. Uh, You know, the positive energy, the raw hits, uh, being out with, with Poison and singing all those hits, Two nights at Fenway, that was incredible. Yeah. One of my very best friends from life, right, for life, uh, lives in Boston, right, in the Boston area, yep. uh, but in New England. And he, I just want to say this, I cannot explain to you, because I always bring my mountain bikes, my dirt bikes, everything with me, and we have an incredible time. But my best buddy was a drummer, and we used to be in my water-soaked uh, some pump backed up basement playing music <laughs> and I'm as passionate about playing it today as I was then. And some of the best memories I have, honest to God, is partying with the fans, having a great time. When I was just up there with you before the pandemic hit, we were up there with poison yeah. and it was such an incredible show. I spent a day out hanging with fans, getting to meet people and that's what this party girl is based on. It's yeah. based on them from the moment they get there. We've got great music playing. We treat people great. We see them, a lot of beads and bandanas going out to everybody. <laughs> yep. And I'm not kidding you. We we have a contest, a dress like Brett karaoke contest, where they get to literally oh, in the wow. pavilion. One of them will be chosen to come up and sing. Wow. We've got the Brady bucket, which is like this old Nerf basketball hoop. Yep. And we... I. If you ever watch my shows like Rock My RV, I'm fairly yeah. mechanically inclined. <laughs> yep. I built the Tiki Hut golf cart. So we're whooping around the parking lot. People that were like, hit it, and we throw them the ball. If they can hit it, they get two backstage passes. It's it, we're That's just awesome. It's great. Well, you know, you brought up a good point because you have this infectious energy, and just it's all about partying and having a good time. But you also mentioned the pandemic. So we all had to stay inside and everything. Was there anything new? Did you take on any new hobbies? What does Brett Michaels do? And it's like, you can't go out and party and have a good time. You got to find a way to make your own fun and get through it, you know? All right. So here it is. As a, as a father of two kids, mm-hmm. knowing we were dealing with this, I have a, my main property is a ranch. So on the ranch, here's the blessing with or without the pandemic. I'm an outdoors guy. Yeah. So we've got a, a motocross track, We've got go-karts. We have all this stuff. Basically, what I did is I, I when, when it first hit and we all didn't know what was going on, I, I said, "We're uh, here's always been my mentality as a type 1 diabetic, right? Yeah. I said, we've got to adapt. We have to figure out how to stay healthy but adapt. And I said, we're going to take the attitude of victorious, not victim. In other words, mm. I always kept the hope that we're getting through this. That wow. there was never a thought where I thought we're not going to get through this. And I know this, it was what happened during the pandemic is horrific, right? Yeah. And we're all starting to come out of that. And, but I always kept hope that that's what would happen. But keeping busy, you're going to laugh. I did a lot of virtual, like a lot of virtual concerts, full concerts yeah. in my studio. Like oh, wow. people would tune in and there would be a concert. Then I would, you're going to laugh. I painted, don't laugh when I say this, I painted, repainted my entire, like, sport court. Don't ask why. I just went down. I said, you know what? I'm, I just threw a bucket of paint. I said, this thing needs done. I started That's awesome. painting stuff. <laughs> so, Brett Michaels. I don't know why. I just start. The kids are like, Dad, you're painting furniture. What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just keeping busy, man. I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep the mind percolating. Yeah, absolutely. We just gotta, we gotta run ads for your painting company <laughs> whenever you're ready. Yes. Well, I'm not good at it, but it was fun. Yeah. One, one thing I know about you, and I, I, this comes up every year. You and I were birthday twins. We have a March fifteenth birthday, 
And so are you the like... Ides of March. That's what I was going to ask. Do people come up to... Every time you say your birthday, they go, and how what do you, how do you respond to that? And it, I mean, it, to me, all my life, oh, the Ides of March. What do you say to them? Uh, you know what I say? Uh, every time I hear this, I switch to a different thing. Are you ready for this? Yeah. We were also born on a day called the Heights, right? Mm, okay. So I know Ides of March, for you know, those curious... Is a two Brutus, you know, is the, yep. you got stabbed in the back, Caesar stabbed in the back by his best friend, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But the other side of that was a thing called the Heights. We're born on one of the only days, ready? One of the only days driven to succeed. So mm-hmm. Pisces, by and large, are creative. Like, we're creative, but kind of really, you know, a lot of my friends in March born Pisces or late February are laid back. They're creative, but don't have the drive to see it through. Mm-hmm. It's, we possess this thing called the Heights to drive us through. And Mark McGrath's born on the same day, if oh, I'm yeah. not completely mistaken. B. Snyder from Twisted Sister. Oh, wow. Uh, if you're, I'm from Pittsburgh, so Mike Tomlin, okay. the, the, the coach of holding one of the most winning records, coach. And we're going to get there this year. Yeah. But it's the, uh, I'm just saying, all born on that day with you and me. So there must be some magic somewhere in there that's true with the heights. Yeah, I love it. It's uh, Judd Hirsch. He's that same day. Mike Love from the Beach Boys. Yeah, there's all sorts of people emerged. Yes. It's a yes. day. We flipped it into being a good day. Yeah, I love that. The heights. That's what I'm going to say for now. When people say the heights of March, I'm saying, you mean the heights. Brett Michaels told me. The heights of March. The heights of March. <laughs> You've had such an amazing career. You, obviously, you blew up in the 80s with Poison, but then like everybody, you know, you had some setbacks. But then not only did you keep going with your music, you had a giant comeback with the TV show Rock of Love. How did Rock of Love come to be? You were one of the originators of the reality TV craze. This is so crazy how this came together. And it's a lot like Party Girl, right? Mm -hmm. So they're creating this idea with me. And I said, look, I go out on the road. Fortunately for Poison, we have managed to, through thick and thin, uh, stay in the arenas, stay in the amphitheaters, play music. And the same thing with me as a solo artist. I knew when I went out there as a solo artist, you got to be creative. You're going to start again, start back over again. No bitching or complaining, and start back over in the venues, smaller venues, and build your way up. And hard work is how I got there. But when it happened with Rock of Love, what happens? They were wanted to create this crazy show, and this was before all of them started really hitting. And I said, "Look, I ask you one thing." My daughters laughed. I took in a piece of paper that they call it. They're like, "Dad, you you can't do that. Put it on your phone or your computer." I'm like. They're like, that's like a hillbilly hard drive. Yeah. You know what? That's what my kids called it, right? <laughs> right? I went in with a piece of paper. I go, I, I open it up. They're all staring at me. And I said, this is what we could do. How about we just make this fun? We laugh. We, I said, make this, let it be me. Just not, it just can't be my house. It could be the cars, the motorcycles, the, all the stuff, anything that we needed. But I said, let me take them on crazy fun adventures to win the dates. Let's not just argue at a jacuzzi. Yeah. Like I couldn't do that. It's not my style. I'm like, I don't want to sit down and my acting, I need to know this. My acting uh, is less than reputable. Uh, I'm not going to put De Niro out of work anytime soon. (laughs) If you know what I mean? Well, he's not going to put you out of work either. I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Are you ready? Are you you ready for a good time? Yeah. Yeah. You talking to me? Yeah. You talking to me? You having a good time with me? (laughs) Yeah. It's time for your News on the Nines with News Guy. After pleading guilty to fraud, Real Housewives star Jen Shaw has been sentenced to six and a half years of watching The Real Housewives. Well, I plan to spend this evening watching SmackDown, or as it's also known, The Royal Family. Prince Harry claims that his brother Prince William physically attacked him during a fight. Harry was scared of being punched in the mouth. Because he's already lost one crown. And that's your news on the nines. Now back to Reinman in the morning. If you took my, if you took my, uh, my acting skills, I said they're less than even remotely reputable. So let's just make a reality. I'll pull up on my Harley, ask the girls, let's go party. Of course, adult beverages don't hurt to make for fun drama. Mm-hmm. And we just let it unleash. And it became... It's now still their biggest, highest-rated show on their network. Yeah. We probably could have done 20 more seasons. I just wouldn't have survived. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, that, that's how that that's what you should have put as the last scene. Is like, I just for I just got to bail out of this just for, <laughs> just for everybody. But but speaking I'm of which, make it. well, you know, it's like the end of a movie, a famous final scene. Yeah, I'm not going to make it, Jimmy. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> There's too much love. Um, well, speaking too much love going on. Here, here's what I love, though. This is what I remembered, is that I recently saw you just a couple years ago. <laughs> you were on The Masked Singer as a banana. Why a banana? Oh, no. I did... just want to tell you this. <laughs> Let me jump in right here. Okay. I love the show. Mm-hmm. I watch this show all the time with my family. I'm like, all of a sudden, I get the phone. The fo- Literally, the phone rings. And then we'll get into Party Girl in a minute. But the phone rings. Yeah. And it. It is literally uh, all the producers and friends of mine from Fox doing the Matt Singer. They're like, they they go, you need to come on here. I said, I know the colors I would like to be in. And I said, you know, we talked about ideas. And I said, what if I'm just bandana banana? Mm. Right. And they were like, huh. Okay. <laughs> it seems like an odd costume. And it was probably the most fun sweatiest I've ever been in my life. You really have to sing. Like, there's no fake in the singing. Yeah. Like, oh, they, wow. you know, they track the music you want, and you sing for real. So as I'm singing through that banana hole, huh. my eye hole was my mouth hole. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making this up. I'm just... I'm trying... Yeah, I didn't okay. know where I was walking. Like, if you ever go back and watch that show, I trip like about 40 <laughs> times. I, I couldn't see anything... I'm walking around. The microphone is through the banana mouth hole, uh, right? I'm going. That's where my eyes go too. I can't see anything. It made it. It made it funny. But you even see my first night. I'm doing that Elvis song. Yep. Yeah. I'm staggering around, and I'm literally tripping over the like the camera guy's cables. It was. It was such a good. Time. I, I just like the visual of a banana slipping. Like it's just like the tables have turned, <laughs> haven't right. they, Mr. Peel? You're on to something here. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get to party grow. Where were we when I needed you for the publicity? <laughs> I needed all these. Hey, I'm here. Things. I'm here. I'll be in here in New Hampshire. And speaking <laughs> of New Hampshire, you're bringing the party grow tour to the Bank of New Hampshire Pavilion, July 22nd. And boy, what an eclectic lineup! I mean, in addition to Jefferson Starship, and then you got Mark McGrath, and then uh, who else? You got so many people. I can't. Sorry from Journey. Yeah, we've got we've got Night Ranger. So let me tell you how this worked. Yeah, so the fans know the real deal. Sure, I created this literally. I'm going to show you the drawing when we have a chance. I've got the drawings of the stage I built, the things so that the bands all have a bunch of stage room, the right lights, the right sound. I start out with these. I mean, my drawing is horrific, right? Mm-hmm. But I know what I want to do, so I pen this stuff out. Then I personally called every single one of the artists who are all friends. And I said, before we get into the agents and the managers and the this and that, I need to know as my friends, no egos, no attitudes, just a night of all killer hits, no filler. I want the fans to be hit with hit after hit after hit. When we have a, so Starship starts off hit after hit after hit after hit, big energy, big stage. We take a little break, but that break ain't a break. We're slamming music. We're doing mashup music with you and the DJs and everyone playing. We're doing the Dress Like Brett karaoke contest. It's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Then Night Ranger plays a full set of hits, and then I hit that stage about 9 or 9.15, and I'm just telling you now, I start out with the Poison hits. Then we have Steve Ajeri from journey i go i want to do one of my favorite journey songs why don't i let the real singer do it oh, nice. throw the mic back he grabs it he starts singing journey songs then all of a sudden mark mcgrath's out then he throws the mic back to me more poison hits it goes round robin like that That's until awesome. the end of the night when starship joins us and night ranger and it's the way music should have been no egos no attitudes just a bunch of bands fans celebrating the music and this is a philosophical one, so bear with me here. Is a rose is a rose without a thorn even a rose? To me, a rose without a thorn is not the truest form of a rose because life is about the journey of both roses and thorns. That is my philosophical answer. You've got to have the best of both to really build the character as to who we will be. I got so nervous towards the end there when his phone was cutting out. It was like he was giving me the key to life. And I'm like, please, please hang on. Thank you to the satellite gods. And thank you to Brett Michaels. 
For all things Brett Michaels, go to brettmichaels.com. My next guest is a guitarist and bassist with Cheap Trick who will join Rod Stewart at Bank of New Hampshire Pavilion in Guilford on August 28th. Please welcome to Ryman in the Morning, Robin Taylor Zander. Mr. Zander, how's it going? Excellent. How are you guys? I'm doing all right. You've literally been part of Cheap Trick all your life. Would you like to explain to listeners your connection to a certain band member? Uh, yes. Uh, my father, Robin Zander, is a co-founding member of the band Cheap Trick, and um, I grew up basically watching them as a little kid, and uh, after college, I started uh, touring with them. So many amazing Cheap Trick songs are used in film, the Marvel TV series, they're everywhere. When you hear a Cheap Trick song, is it cool, or are you like, Dad? Oh, it, it's cool. It's always cool. Um, I've never never really uh, been embarrassed by it. I mean, they're, I love their music, so it's always it's always been a treat to hear that when I'm out in public or in a movie theater or a TV show. It's always always cool. Is there any story you can share with me, like as as the son of a rock star? Is there anything you remember? Like, was there a you know career day or something at school or a show and tell day where it's like, uh, yeah, my dad's in cheap trick? Uh, yeah, yeah, there were a couple of those days. I mean, um, we had uh, you know take your parents to school day where you'd uh, basically they tell talk about what they do for a living. And when I was a kid, my dad did that. He brought in uh, a guitar and a little recording machine and showed my class how he writes demos so oh my god that was um that was pretty interesting yeah to be a little six or seven year old and have your friends be like oh this is what your dad does he he just plays music <laughs> did you have to audition to join them on tour or did they just kind of say ah he'll do it um no i didn't have to audition they i grew up around <laughs> them they, yeah. they knew i was a player but uh they you know there was you know they've never added a, a band member they've always been a four piece so um, it was kind of uh, it was kind of uh, rare for them to add another touring member of the band, uh, so that was that was really cool. That was nice that they felt comfortable enough with me to do that. What was going through your mind the first time you got up there and played with the band? Lots of nervousness and um, uh, hoping I don't make any mistakes, pretty much. But uh, once I started, a few weeks after, I, I got in a groove and. Uh, it's been great ever since. I started in 2017 with them, and uh, so it's been going out six years now touring with a with a band. Now you studied locally at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Uh, what was your favorite part of going to school here in New England? Oh man, that was great. I spent a year, um, uh, 2012, 2013 in Boston, and it was uh, it was fantastic, man. I, I loved it. I love the city and uh, the people that I met there that went to Berkeley were from all over the world because it attracts all these really cool musicians from different countries. So um, it was definitely culturally really cool just to immerse myself in that kind of environment. Now, where did you grow up? Uh, Tampa, Florida. So, was there anything about Boston that surprised you when you first got here? Um, I, I guess the architecture um, and just the history um how they preserve a lot of the historical, you know, monuments and buildings and all the old churches that are around there. I just thought it was a really cool historical town and city, which I didn't really, I, I read about Boston, but when I actually started looking there, it was, it was a lot more than I thought. Now you have a solo album out now called The Distance. It's available in stores and online. Tell me all about it. Well, we started recording it in uh, 2020 um, with my friend Kenny Siegel, who lives up in upstate New York, and um, he owns a recording studio in an old 19th century style house. So um, I just recorded with him. It was just me and him. No one else recorded uh, the record. So I recorded all the instruments that you hear except for um, brass and strings. So wow. um, there's 11, yeah, there's 11 tracks on there, and um, it came out end of April. Who are some of your influences going into making this album? There's, um, I mean, all the British Invasion uh, bands from the 60s. I would probably start there. So the Beatles and the Who and the Kinks and the Stones. And then, um, you know, there's like a lot of, a lot of uh, pop songwriting influence, like Harry Nielsen, and um, you know, uh, Cheap Trick is in there a little bit, a little bit of everything. Now you play all the instruments on this album, The Distance, which is getting great reviews. I have a six-year-old daughter, so my question to you as a parent is: if I wanted my daughter to like get into every instrument, what's a good one to start with when they're young? Um, well, the the two most accessible ones I say are drums and piano, uh, because. Drums teaches you rhythm, and piano 
teaches you melody and um, chords. So those were the first two that I would I would give my kids, and I wouldn't you know force it on them. I would just put it in you know the corner of a room in in the house or in their bedroom and just let them kind of mess with it. And if they take interest, then then you know then that that's something they'd like to do. My favorite song that you guys play every night is Surrender because I love the lyric Surrender, but don't give yourself away. And I feel like that's what you've done because <laughs> you kill it each night with Cheap Trick and you made a great album in your own voice. And it's called The Distance and uh, really, really cool stuff. Uh, Robin Taylor Zander, thank you so much for joining me on Rhineman in the Morning. Oh, anytime. For all things Robin Taylor Zander, visit RobinTaylorZander.com.